0: For over a century, Paris's Hotel Ritz has been a hotspot for socialites, royalty, politicians, famous artists. In her newest book, The Hotel en Place Vendôme, author Talar Matzeo takes you through the early history of the hotel and just how central it was in the first few decades of the 20th century. The focus is on the lives, the secrets, and scandals of these French, Americans, and Germans who mingled inside the Ritz leading up to and during the Second World War. And Talar joins me on the line. Hi, Talar.
1: Hello. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, thanks for joining me. So you mentioned that you think the history of the Second World War is, is told a bit too simplistically, as in like black and white. So does the Hotel Ritz really sort of represent some of that gray area in between?
1: Exactly. That's how I would, um, how I would think of it. Because one of the things that really interested me in that story as I, as I became involved in the research was the fact that probably the most important resistance ring run out of the Hotel Ritz was run by the Germans. So it was a case where you had French people who were very involved with collaboration and Germans who were involved with resistance. So it really complicated that story. And, of course, the Hotel Ritz was owned by a Swiss fit. So there's all the questions of neutrality.
0: Mm -hmm. There were a lot of people who were punished after the war for collaborating with the Germans, including a lot of the guests at the Ritz. Do you think that they sort of got what they deserved or that it went too far?
1: Well, it was pretty brutal. I mean, the, the éparation, which was when basically the women who had engaged in what they called, euphemistically, her horizontal collaboration, they were treated pretty brutally. I mean, pulled out yeah. into the streets and their hair shaved and stripped naked. So really, it was just a kind of savage, race. It was absolutely not judicial So too far, I think.
0: <laughs> and one person you interviewed for your book, and you mentioned this in the intro, Told you not to tell the story of of the Hotel Ritz. What's sort of the reasoning behind that?
1: Yeah, that was an amazing moment for me. It came early in the process, and um, it was a lady who a very older, a very old lady. Um, I met in Paris through friend of a friend, and her husband had been very, very senior in the resistance. And it was an amazing moment where we met in Paris, and she wanted to meet in a very obscure part of the city, up on Rue de Rome. And what she said was. You shouldn't tell this story because um, people are really much more upset about it than you think, and you can't tell the, you, you can't tell the truth any longer, was her version of, of, of that account. What she meant by that, I think, was that um, people were so invested immediately after the war, and even before it had ended, in not being complicit in collaboration, that their own accounts of their actions weren't even reliable.
0: So how did you find a lot of this info that's in the book, all the secrets and scandals?
1: Yeah, I, I did huge amounts of research for it. It was one of the most difficult books I'd done ever in terms of archival research. So I worked in, a lot in the police files in Germany, um, in Berlin, and then in the National Archives of London and the National Archives in Washington, D.C., and um, also a number of different archives throughout Paris. Spent one whole summer in Paris Reading Gestapo files because the files of the of the of the resistance and the collaboration period um, in in France are simply labeled "files of the German occupation," and you go into the national archives and it's box after box after box, and they're just jumbled together. And unfortunately, um, I think that there's not a there's not an impulse to try to organize those so that scholars and writers can do better research, actually. But um, I remember going in there, and you open these files, and on the front is a photo of somebody, and then there's a series of hysterical, increasingly hysterical um, documents, and at the end is often a mimeograph form on how that person was, was killed. And you spend a summer reading those kinds of files, and I was living in the Marais that summer, which was the historic Jewish quarter, and you just don't ever see Paris in quite the same way again. It's, it's as much a city of ghosts as Berlin, in a way.
0: Is there like one piece of information or something that you learned that shocked you the most?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I I think part of what I hadn't understood completely was the extent to which the brutality that we think of happening in Germany or think of happening in Poland um, also happened in Paris. So, for example, Pierre Laval was one of the Vichy high officials and the Jewish children of Paris. um, Hitler had not asked that the children of Paris be deported. And Pierre Laval made the decision to deport the children as well as the parents. And that was, for me, not something I had understood, that, um, that there were decisions made that went above and beyond what, what even Hitler had asked for.
0: As part of the Vichy government.
1: Yeah, as far as the Vichy government. And at the same time, you know, one would want to say, again, to go back to where we began, that it was incredibly complicated. There were also French citizens who did amazing things to try to save people. Um, One of my favorite stories is about, um, and it's very, very marginal in the story, although I talked to his family, um, a man named Hank Woodrum was an American um, pilot who got shot down in Paris. And... He happened to be in Paris then hiding um, because he was on the run from the Gestapo um, when Paris was liberated. And he's able, in his account, he's, he's just recently died, but I talked to his son and he's written a memoir. Um, he's able to talk about um, witnessing on the streets of Paris the, the daily things that average French citizens did to try to, to try to help and to try to... Um, save his life in particular, but also the lives of other people. So really, it's on the one hand, the Vichy government doing things that were much, much worse than I ever imagined. And then on the other hand, a kind of quiet heroism of the average person that I think um, it also doesn't get completely told in the in the grand sweeping epic narratives, right? Um, you know, at the Hotel Ritz, um, one of my favorite characters was a woman named Blanche Ozello, who was a B-starlet, effectively, um, somebody who had acted with Pearl White, went over to Paris in the 20s, and she happened to be, um, was born in New York City and happened to have Jewish-German parents. And um, early in the 30s had faked a passport because she was afraid that anti-Semitism would hurt her, her acting career. So she was married to the director of the Hotel Ritz, a man named Claude Ozello, and both of them, unknown to the other, were running resistance networks out of mm-hmm. the Hotel Ritz. Um, and she was helping fallen um, fallen airmen get out of the city because she spoke German. Um, and um, her husband was sending coded messages through the, the SNCF, through the railway networks, to let the Allies know where, just know where Hermann Goering was because he, early in the war in particular, was at the Ritz. Um, so kind of amazing stories of people doing little things that history then obscures because, of course, part of the Part of the policy for the, um, for the Germans at the period was to make people disappear who resisted. So those stories often disappeared with them.
0: What is it about the hotel and its guests and staff that first grabbed your attention?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, I was writing a book before this. I, I had written a book on the widow Clicot, so um, I, kind of French luxury products is my métier. And then after that, I wrote a book on, um, on the history of Chanel No. 5 perfume, and when I was working on that book, I needed to fact-check some of the things about Coco Chanel because she had lived at the Hotel Ritz in Paris during the Second World War with a man named Hans von Dinklage who was a German, a German officer. And that's a really interesting story because um, she, um, she always claimed that her lover was a double agent for the British. And some of the um, evidence that I found for this book suggests that I think she's probably right about that, um, that he... Had, you know, her lover had been working for a man named Canaris, who was in the Abwehr and was part of the German resistance. So she very likely may even have been telling the truth in the end that he was working as a double agent for the British. But So I needed to fact-check all of this when I was working on The Secret of Chanel number no. 5, and I ended up in the, um, working with the archives at the University of Cambridge, the Churchill Archives. And in those archives, over and over again, You keep coming across these odd references to the Hotel Ritz. And so I thought, well, what is the story of the Hotel Ritz? Why is it that over and over again in these recently declassified files, the name of the Hotel Ritz comes up? And I was sitting in in Berlin at a friend's house. We were overlooking the Alexanderplatz because he has a beautiful apartment. And I just said to my friend, I wonder, you know, what the story is. This would be an amazing story. And we kind of had coffee and talked it through, and I called my editor, and they said, yeah, that they thought that would be a great story. So that was was how the book Mm. happened. It's a fascinating story. I love the book. Yeah, thank you very much. I I really enjoyed writing it. I mean, it was painful at moments, but also it's a really inspiring story.
0: Delora, thanks so much for your time.
1: Thank you very much.